What would it take to arouse your life, to experience more connection, more pleasure, more realness in and outside of the bedroom? I'm August McLaughlin, and this is Girl Boner Radio. And then the day came when the risk to remain tight in a bud was more painful than the risk it took to blossom. Elizabeth Appel, frequently attributed to Anais Nin. I started my new book, Girl Boner Journal, with that quote because to me it summarizes so well the decisions we make along the way to live more authentically, especially when it comes to our sexuality. Welcome back to Girl Boner Radio, everyone. I'm your host, August McLaughlin, and I'm so thankful that you're listening or watching. Hello, everyone in Facebook land. This is the first time that I'm streaming an episode onto the Girl Boner Facebook page. I wanted to do something extra special in honor of Girl Boner Journal, which released today. And I couldn't think of a better way than to share it in real time with readers and listeners, because you are really the heart of this work. And I have two incredible guests to party with us Today, I'm so pleased to have with me the co-hosts of the podcast, Queers Next Door, Megan Ashley, and sex coach, Lee. I just bumped you already. (laughs) That's all right. I was sitting on my hands. I'm trying not to. We can bump. We can totally bump. (laughs) Sex coach, Lee, is a holistic sex coach and clinical sexologist, writer, speaker, and educator who specializes in working with queer and non-monogamous folks. Megan Ashley is a queer and kinky blogger, podcaster, and cam model who strives to show that trauma survivors and mentally ill folks can still have healthy sex lives, whatever that looks like for them. Thank you both for being here. Thank you so much for having us. Thank you. This is fun. So I thought because the journal is full of prompts and you can use it as a standard journal, right? You both have uh, kindly looked through the whole thing. Mm -hmm. And there are many blank pages, and it can be a very private exploration of your own sexual self-discovery, which I think is important. But also, you can use it as kind of chit-chat fun with friends. I think we should have more conversations. So I thought we would take some of the topics and prompts and Mm -hmm. let that be our guide today. So we will start with... Exercise four uh, is about girl boner turning points, those moments that kind of shift things for you. It's like an aha moment or an epiphany. I wonder, Megan, what is one major turning point in your sexual empowerment journey? Uh, When I quit teaching and decided to do sex work full time, that was a major turning point. Uh, doing that, exploring that way with a purpose, which it being my job, made me explore a lot of things that I don't think I would have done otherwise. Wow. And what <laughs> prompted that decision? Was it a gradual thing or were you you were already working as a sex worker at the same time? I started to do both, but someone actually tried to out me. They made an account using my real name anyways. And it's, it was very traumatic, but now I can kind of laugh because I don't think I would have quit teaching that fast if that hadn't happened. So now I'm thankful, but not everyone is privileged as me that if that happened, it could totally destroy someone. So I was lucky that I was moving my living situation and I was able to kind of take that leap into, well, now I'm done with this and I can focus full time on sex work. 
Um, but yeah, it was scary. And at the time, it made me want to just quit everything and go back to the safety zone of teaching because I'd been doing it for like 12 years and I felt like that was the only place I knew who I was. So to leave that was really scary. Um, but like I said, now I look at that as as a really great turning point in my life because I don't think I would be where I am now if it wasn't for that. That took a lot of courage. I think it's interesting how so many turning points are that way. They're, you have so many mixed emotions and sometimes you don't realize the good until whoops, hindsight. <laughs> yeah. For sure. What about you, Lee? Oh, I have a few of them. I guess I guess the first and biggest was probably when I came out. Um, so I've told a little bit of this story before, but I came out when I was 17. So I was a senior in high school and um, and it was like it was multiple comings out because at the time, like bisexuality wasn't talked about as much. And so I was like, well, I've been dating boys and I like girls, so I'm gay. Everybody, I'm gay. Um, so I wrote. I wrote a letter to the editor of my newspaper, <laughs> and I was the editor of my newspaper, <laughs> so I wrote an anonymous letter um, and kind of came out to the whole school. I went to an all-girls Catholic high school, um, and I did it anonymously, basically, so my parents wouldn't see it, but um, was pretty out with all of my friends, and everyone kind of knew it was me. How did people respond to that? Surprisingly well. Um, I feel really lucky. The The funny part was when I realized a little bit later um, that maybe bisexual was a better fit. Um, and now I identify as queer and probably more on the gay side of that. But at the time when I started telling people I dated boys too, my straight friends were more uncomfortable with that. Interesting. So it was kind of like we put you in the gay box and we're okay with that. But now you're trying to tell us that it's a little more nuanced than that. And so that's less comfortable. You have a really great episode I was listening to where you talk about the, I think it was a listener question about, mm-hmm. you know, can is it okay to call yourself lesbian and then to say, you know, or, or does that exclude certain, like a, a trans lesbian yeah. or, mm-hmm. and I thought that was a really, you gave a really lovely nuanced answer to that. How often do you get those types of questions since your whole show is through a queer lens? We get them a lot. I get a lot of questions like that, even with camming, which surprises me. And then when we get a question that I feel, because I'm in sex coach training, but I'm going very, very, very slowly through it. So I don't always feel prepared to answer questions in a way that is going to be inclusive to everyone. So I immediately send it to Lee because <laughs> she's sex coach Lee and she does ask sex coach Lee. So I'm like, here, copy and paste this question to you. And then I'll add my thoughts. But but we get a ton of questions like that. Yeah. It's an interesting <laughs> time because we're increasingly having more freedom around, you know, whatever your identity is and people being able to come out more and then and then it brings up all those those questions, you know, am I am I doing this quote right? And I think one of you in that answer said there is no like ideal. No one's going to be happy with every label yeah. and that's okay. Yeah. There's a a wonderful um thing that you do at the beginning of your episodes where you ask each other how you're taking care of yourself, which I love. And there's a section in Girl Boner Journal and and the main book too called Self-Care Supreme. Because to me, that's just such a vital part of sexual empowerment and, and self-love and, and all of that. Could you speak to one of the ways that you practice self-care, Megan? 
Well, that title made me really happy because it reminds me of The Coven, <laughs> American Horror Story. Oh, um, cool. But yes, to answer the question, self-care, hmm. I try to schedule it the way I schedule everything else or sometimes it won't happen. And having someone like Lee checking in on that with me makes me think about it way more because I'm like, oh, shit. Wait, can we guess? It totally does. <laughs> oh, yeah, you, you can for sure. <laughs> like, oh, I have, to, I have to answer this question on the podcast and tell people what I'm doing. And I have to look like yeah. I'm actually doing something to inspire other people instead of being like, nothing. I'm not doing anything. Which made me think of that when I was listening, too. Yeah. You can't hear that without asking yourself what you did. Mm-hmm. And I was actually listening to one of your episodes today. And because it's book release day and there's like all this buzzy stuff going on. Yeah, it's exciting. But sometimes even when you're excited having positive things happen or whatever, you sometimes forget to do things like eat a balanced snack yeah. or meal or, you know, something. And, and so it was helpful to me for that reason. Yeah, I think it's a good way to acknowledge the good things and the positive things you're doing for yourself rather than like what stressed you out this week or what heavy stuff are you dealing with because that's always going to be present too. And rather than like pretend everything's great, we try to talk about it from that perspective of like, yeah, we know things can be heavy, but what's the positive Mm. that comes out of that? Yeah, yeah, I so appreciate that. So section 18, there's an exercise called Cultivating Body uh, Confidence. And I featured this wonderful activist. She's a um, fat activist, body image activist called Amy Pence Brown. And she had this infamous performance uh, where she stripped down to a black bikini and blindfold in the middle of downtown Boise at a farmer's market and had people write on her body and it's beautiful. Um, there's this incredible video that wasn't planned that just ended up going viral. And I know that for both of you, this is a, a topic that that touches you. I wonder if you could speak to how it relates to queerness specifically. Hmm. I had a really tough journey with like body positivity and confidence. And I think when I was a baby gay, as I call myself, in Los Angeles, like when I was 19 and 20 years old, it felt like the right way to be a lesbian was to be very thin and to wear a certain kind of clothing that my body type has never fit into. And now, I mean, it's just the group of friends that I had, obviously, like there is no right way. But I felt very much like I was already doing it wrong at that point. And so then I kind of like swung to the other way, which I think is something that I really want to go into more on our podcast at some time, that if you have a more curvy figure... The only way that's acceptable is if you're showing your boobs or your butt because those are two things that society likes. So I was kind of like, okay, well, I'm going to push myself into this this role, which I like. I'm comfortable being this way, but what people call that is femme. Uh, And then we've also, me and Lee, have like a complicated relationship with the word, and I'm okay with being identified that way. But I think at some point I realize now that we don't always feel like we're in control of the way we're identified and then also like subconsciously what's going through your head that I think we're more critical of when you are LGBTQIA plus because you're more aware of how society is seeing you and how you can try to fit into this box or not based on who's looking. So it sounds complicated. Is it something that you are aware of as it's happening or is it more reflective? One of those things that you find yourself dressing in a certain way and then it 
occurs to you or is it more intentional? It's only I've been more aware of it now. Uh, I'm 31 and I think definitely the end of my 20s is when I started to be more aware of all of this stuff. And I think before that I was just kind of existing and trying to figure out what felt right and how to be myself because, you know, we went I went through being married and divorced and being a teacher and then doing what I do now. There was a lot of changing. Um, so, yeah, now I feel very confident in my body. I think it's something people say happens. The older you get, you kind of have the attitude of like, well, I don't really give a fuck anymore what people think. <laughs> but I still struggle with it. It's still something that comes up with wanting to look a certain way or wanting to be able to be queer and like the cool edgy looking queer you know there's so many different things that come up when you think of that so yeah completely especially when you're a public brand Mm -hmm. right because your work is also very visual obviously yes so you're always you have to be focused on your appearance in some way yeah it's hard to kind of step away from that lee what about you what's um something that you find coming up a lot with clients as far as body image that's an interesting one. I feel like it it pretty much comes up for everyone, especially women, but pretty much for everyone. And um, a thing that I try to do with folks is to just say, like, what's one thing you like about your body? And that's you can tell where people are if they like literally can't answer that question, you know. And when when people can't answer it from a like visual perspective, I try to move into, OK, what's one thing your body does for you? that you're happy with you know if you can't say like I like my face I like my butt whatever but if you can say like I like how strong I am or I like that I can my arms can hold my kid you know um moving it to that place yeah that's a really powerful one I think it's a great thing too for for kids to to get them to frame how they give compliments to their body or, yes. you know, in terms of what a function instead of, oh, you're so pretty, you're so handsome, you're mm-hmm. so, you're a princess or whatever. I have a seven-year-old daughter. So mm. that, you know, that's something I'm really, really careful about is I will not criticize my body in front of her mm. because I grew up, I think a lot of us grew up, you know, hearing parents or other women around us kind of talking about what they didn't like about their bodies and it's you internalize it, that at a really young age, I think. So um, I'm really trying to keep it body positive, but also body neutral. Um, I love that term. Yeah. You know, just like it's a body like you just exist in your body and that's OK. You don't have to love it every day and every bit of it. But yeah, I went through uh, an eating disorder years ago mm-hmm. and I remember I got to a place where I was like, so passionate about food that it was kind of it started to feel unhealthy yeah and I remember I wanted to I wanted to talk about like ways to cook where it can help you like you know love your body and all this stuff and I interviewed this therapist and she said something about having a neutral relationship with food and Mm -hmm. I was like it it didn't compute I'm like that's not possible I'm upset I'm either negatively obsessed with food or I'm positively (laughs) obsessed with food I don't even think the positive was very healthy and uh as I got more mindful and like really embraced intuitive eating like listening to my Mm -hmm. body it changed to a more neutral place and I can enjoy food but it's so strange to just go you know it's it's just food right and it's 
energy. Sometimes it's for pleasure. Sometimes it's whatever. It's but it's 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 not anything about your worth, and you don't have to be like gaga for it or you know it's just food yeah well and that there aren't good foods and bad foods I mean we talk about food in such a way that has to do with guilt and shame that it's no wonder that people talk about their bodies from a place of shame because you know like cake is not inherently good or bad it is delicious. It's just delicious. <laughs> but yes, you're right. It <laughs> you is know, good. and it's. I think people hear that and they're like, "Yeah, but it's bad." I know, or the whole cheat day concept. Yes, and that is. I think that gets to us that even if you're saying it in this kind of jokey kind of way, and and I don't mean to shame anybody who has a lifestyle where that works for them or feels good, but it's amazing. It's it's very analogous to sexuality. How Absolutely. negative all the terms are around yeah. food. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I feel like the terms, like the good and bad around food is very similar to words that we use to talk about STIs. You know, like I notice a lot of people still use words like clean. Like, mm-hmm. oh, I'm clean. Clean eating. Yes. So clean eating clean from, and then from clean, herpes, from, clean from. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And like you don't realize that the opposite of clean is dirty. And that's what you're saying. Like, you know, that. So, again, having your status be neutral, like. Oh, I'm negative for, you know, these STIs. That's sharing information. But I'm clean has this value judgment. That is hot. Yeah, that's tough. I love that. You're so good at what you do. (laughs) Thank you. That's so great. Uh, So you both identify as polyamorous. We do. Megan, when did you start using that term and kind of identifying with it? Like, I didn't know the term growing up. Did you? No, I didn't. So when I got divorced from my ex, I made myself wait for six months before downloading any dating apps. I don't know why I chose that number. It felt like in society we have these rules, you know, like you can't go from one relationship to the other because something's wrong with you. You need to fix it before you're ready, blah, blah, blah. So I did that. I was like, I'm going to prove to myself that I don't need to date. So I stayed home and watched The L Word for six months and then (laughs) got on Tinder. And that's where I first learned about polyamory. And I kept seeing it. I was like, polyamorous, non-monogamous, blah, blah, blah. What does this mean? Okay. And so when I first saw it, I thought, this sounds interesting, but something that I don't really want to do long term. But maybe I'll just try it out and see. Because I still was under the impression that you had to be gay or straight. And this is when I was 27. It's not that long ago. Um... But I had been married to a man, so I'm like, well, I guess I'm straight now. And now when I'm dating, I guess I date guys. And then I'm like, no, I don't want to do that. Well, I don't know which one. So I remember putting both male and female. And now, you know, everyone. I I also think pansexual is a great word. But at the time, I was still very much in the discovery part. I had no idea about all these terms. So um, when I my first polyamorous girlfriend had that on her Tinder and... I started to date her and her husband, and I just once again thought, this is just like a fun thing to try on. It's not something I'm really going to do, and I ended up taking, you know, we broke up um, in a good way. We remained friends for a long time, but then I found one of my current partners, and it was like, okay, this is the person I want to be with, and we were uh, monogamous for a year, and then I was like, wait a minute, I kind of liked that, that polyamorous part of my life. Let's talk about this. Um, so then we talked about it and here we are. It's been almost three years that we have stayed together and been polyamorous. So 
That's awesome. Tinder taught Another me something. Journey. Yeah. I never thought of it that way. <laughs> it's like the opposite of what so many people do. They go in there with their specific, like, this is what I want. And you discovered. Yeah. That's beautiful. And that's kind of what dating should be, too, is, is self-discovery and exploration. So there's a section in Girl Boner Journal on uh, relationships. There's a section on monogamy. There's one on non-monogamous relationships. And one of the prompts has to do with the myths around non-monogamy. What's one really common myth that you'd like to debunk, Lee? Oh, there's, yeah, there's a lot. I think, um, I mean, I think the thing that I hear the most is um, I can never do that. I'm a jealous person. And I kind of want to debunk the myth that being a jealous person is a thing because I, um, I really think that jealousy is an emotion and we all experience it, but I don't think it's a personal identity. And I think people get stuck in that concept of, I couldn't. I could never do this because I'm this kind of person. And now, if you could never do it because it's not your preferred style of relationship, you're probably right there, you know. Um, but if you just tell yourself that I might experience jealousy in this situation, and therefore it's not for me, you know, we experience jealousy in monogamous relationships. We experience jealousy when what's really going on is insecurity, fear. Um, our own stuff. So that's so interesting what you said about using it as like an identifier because you wouldn't say, I'm not going to be in this relationship because I'm a grumpy person. Right. You know? right. <laughs> I'm, I'm a, I'm a fun person. Like it just, it's funny that that jealousy does hold a lot of weight. Yeah. yeah. I just saw a video about this yesterday um, and it really made me think, and I'm glad that we brought this up right now because it reminded me that there was a video where someone said exactly what Lee just said. I could never do this because I'm jealous. And she said, people are jealous when someone gets a promotion at their job that they wanted. People get jealous when their life is not going a way that their friend is going. So why is it that sexual and romantic jealousy seems like this thing that we cannot seem to conquer as much as we try? And I was like, that's really true. I never thought of it that way. That's really interesting. I think we shame it a lot, too. Mm-hmm. I get really... It's like such a, you're so, they're, they're just jealous, you know, like it, yeah. it, it feels like a really heavy, criticizing word to me. Yeah, I think we shame it or we get into a place where we think it means that somebody loves us more, which is that, that's, I think, a really kind of problematic way of going about it. But I see people with that feeling of like, well, why aren't you jealous? You know, mm-hmm. uh. like who are in kind of a toxic partnership where it's like, if this person, you know, is very, very jealous or very possessive, that's another like one of those words that that's kind of the antithesis of non-monogamy, then that must mean that they like really love me. Yeah, that's a that's a risky thing, isn't it? Yeah. And it's what we see in the movies, too. Like if someone stalks you, they're into you. Yes, it's that <laughs> yeah. it's that very early like boys hit you because yeah, they like so you kind of say, nonsense. Yeah, but yeah. I think it. I think most of us have internalized, even if we don't think that's part of our relationships. Yeah. Do you think jealousy can ever kind of indicate your value system? Like, could it be a positive thing in some cases where you go, I'm feeling a little jealous, or maybe that's at least the term you're using, because blank, 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 not because of a relationship necessarily thing happening where they they want to date another person or whatever, but just say you're jealous because you're not spending any time with your partner. Yeah, you know, I, maybe it's like a sign. I think it's yeah, I think it's an indicator, like a good um it's a good way to know that you either need to check in with your partner, partners or yourself. 
you know? So if it's, if you're realizing like, oh, I'm just really jealous of your other partner and you stop and you're like, okay, it's not that person and it's not the fact that we're in an open relationship, but what am I missing? Like, oh, well, we used to have date nights and it's been three weeks or whatever. So that's about time, not about Mm -hmm. non-monogamy. Yeah, yeah. For example. That is such a good point. I thought I would check in on our group here. Yeah, absolutely. And see, look, we're still going. That's good. (laughs) (laughs) Let me see here if I can find out if we have any questions. So if anybody does have a question, please feel free to post it below. Oh, look at that. People are talking to us. Hi, everyone. Hi, friends. I'm very blind and I can't see I know. I can't see from here or from the computer. (laughs) Someone said they still need to work on their STI testing language. Okay. It's a journey, you know. It's I like the idea of when we know better, we do better. Because um, I don't think when people say things like, I'm clean, that they mean a negative connotation for it. You know, yeah. I don't think it's I don't think it's necessarily shaming language. It's just one of those things where we language evolves to stop and yeah. say, Okay, wait, what's a what's a way to say this that I think I just said that like a year ago because Mm -hmm. there was a really fun card about hooking up about like, what are you interested in at this event? Mm -hmm. And it said the STI status. And I think I looked at what someone else put and I put all clean. Mm -hmm. And then I did not even have any like second thoughts about it just because I thought that's something that comes up a lot. And now thinking about it. Yeah. It's kind of like when you hear a song from childhood or one that you just know all the words to but you've never thought about the words Mm -hmm. and then you realize it's about something really dark and twisty or and you're just like singing it all the time like you just (laughs) it's so embedded Mm -hmm. in our culture Uh, we also have a comment about jealousy Uh, maybe not jealousy could be a belief that partners own one another and cannot share what belongs to them that's very insightful Um, yeah it's the it's that kind of abundance versus scarcity idea which is if you're coming from a scarcity mindset that there's you know that there and this isn't my analogy I've heard this other places but that like you know there's one pie if you think that there's just one pie and you thought you were your partner was the whole pie and now they want to date somebody else then you're immediately like oh good I only get half the pie now but if you see it as something that's constantly refilling itself based on the more there is, then then you're coming from an abundance place and it's like, you know, love and is infinite. We talk about it all the time on our podcast because I personally hate that about polyamory, that there's this idea that some people can do it and when they do it, they just don't get jealous anymore and everything's fine and they're like, yay, compersion. And for me, I think I'm pretty good at communicating. My partner and I are in a really good spot about it, but I still struggle a lot. And so just because I'm struggling doesn't mean anything bad about me. And sometimes I'm like, I'm just a Leo. I'm a jealous, possessive person. Uh, And I think that's true. But like Lee said, it's not really part of my identity. It's just something that keeps coming up and I keep working through it. And every time I do with partners, I always feel closer to them. So just because some people are like, yay, I'm so happy all the time, compersion. It's not always like that. That doesn't mean that polyamory is bad or that you can't do it. Right. That's such a good point. And you both share very vulnerably, I feel, and openly about challenges in your lives and in relationships and also around mental health, which I feel is so important. I heard a segment about uh, PMDD. Yeah. And uh, you've spoken about PTSD and Mm -hmm. uh, anxiety. Uh, For anyone who's not very familiar, because I feel like we don't hear a whole lot about PMDD. 
How yeah. do you define it? It's funny because I'm like, oh, I talk about it all the time. But you're right. <laughs> it, and it was just PMDD Awareness Month. And so um, I did a little thing on Instagram where I was talking about it every day on like my personal Instagram. So uh, PMDD is premenstrual dysphoric disorder. And it affects about 1 in 20 um, assigned female at birth folks. Um, so it is... The kind of reductive way to talk about it is it's really bad PMS, but it's much more like a mood disorder, and it looks a lot more um, in your, like, what's going on in your brain is very similar to what's going on with, like, unmedicated bipolar or PTSD. So basically, um, the quick science side of it is between ovulation and menstruation, you have a normal, if you're a person with a period, you have a normal fluctuation of hormones. I also have that same normal fluctuation of hormones, but because of something encoded in my cells, my body reads that normal fluctuation as danger. So my brain goes into fight or flight for 10 to 15 days every cycle. Wow. So it is a lot like PTSD during that time. It is. And a lot of reactions look a lot like trauma response because... And how long did it take you to realize that that's what was going on? You know... It's it's a thing that's hard for me to tell when it started because I'm a recovering alcoholic. And so I think a lot of, I know that drink I crave drinking closer to my period. And so I think earlier on I was um, self-medicating when I realized the symptoms were coming on. Um, but I've been sober almost 10 years. And, but not from weed, you all know that. Cause it's <laughs> I know, I heard. It was one I'm, of your self-care things. I am sober from alcohol <laughs> for almost 10 years. And so I was diagnosed like not too long after that. So it's hard to say when it started, but yeah. yeah. I, I love that you're speaking up about it. And you as well. I feel like on social media too, you've been mm-hmm. speaking about a lot of different issues and from a really open place and publicly, do you feel a sense of activism? I do, but it didn't. I didn't think I would feel that way. It didn't start off that way. Um, one of the things I thought about after I answered the first question about the turning points and coming out and doing sex work was that not everything I was doing was sex work. It was also the freedom to be able to blog and share things without worrying about like an employer or someone being able to come back at you with it. So even mental health stuff, it kind of became. And now looking at, like, my brand, which is a weird way even still for me after all these years, but myself as my brand, I'm like, this is confusing. I talk about sex work and I show my butt and then I'm like, and here's me talking about my mom's murder and mental health and agoraphobia. But it just kind of felt like the right way to do it. And um, now I think that is one of the best things is I get a lot of people who are like, oh, I really like what you do, but because you talked about PTSD, it helped me feel this way or it helped me realize that I still need to deal with this and if you can do it I can do it it's not that bad because people always say what you've been through is way worse than what I have been through and I'm like well no because we can't compare what anyone has gone through but I'm just happy to be able to help other people be like oh mental health stuff is not horrible to talk about I can share it if I if I'm comfortable and if I want to and use it as a journey and celebrate the the small victories, which me and Lee, I think, are really good at. But some people, you know, they'll criticize if you say, like, yay, I did a hard thing, I got out of bed, or I, I went to work today. They're like, yay, everyone does that. But if you're struggling and you want to celebrate that, then do it. Who cares what anyone says? It's so true. Whatever gets you through the day, whatever gets you 
through the month or whatever tough time you're in, yeah, do it. Yeah. Thank you for mentioning <laughs> the trauma comparison. I've fallen into that many times where I go, oh, the thing that happened to me wasn't that bad. So then you dismiss your own feelings, mm-hmm. and that really doesn't help. And the, the way that you share so freely about so many different things, one of the benefits I see is I feel like a lot of people have this idea that sex workers are very Mm one-dimensional and you're showing so much of your humanness in many different ways that you can show your butt and then you can also (laughs) talk about a tragedy you went through so I really commend you for that I think that's really beautiful (laughs) thank you so as we wrap up I'll I'll check down for questions one last time y'all so send it in if you like I wonder if each of you could share one one of the most powerful practices um, that you've kind of learned along the way um, for feeling empowered in your sexuality? Oh, that's a good one. Um, you know, um, I actually think that, because uh, I've done, I don't do sex work right now, although I think some of the work I do, I think some of all of this is sex work, right? But there's different stakes to sex work and there's different, you know, privileges and safeties and whatever. And so I don't do particularly like marginalized or vulnerable sex work right now. But um, I think getting into and when I did do some professional BDSM, that that taught me a whole lot about what I needed. Like I was forced to um, confront my own boundaries and the best ways to negotiate those that that weren't in just the safe space of a relationship. You know, sometimes in a relationship, we kind of let those things slide or we take things for granted. So having an opportunity to say, okay, well, how do I really speak up for myself with someone who's not necessarily here having like my needs in mind was super empowering. Mm. That's really awesome. And imagine it helped in so many and still does other areas of your life. Absolutely. Because when we can manage our own needs for boundaries and respect them, it's it's just so powerful in the boardroom, in the bedroom, everywhere. Yeah. yeah. What about you, Megan? Uh, I guess the most empowering thing was taking my clothes off in front of strangers. Um, and I don't think that it's a journey that everyone has to go on by any means. It could be anything, like anything body related or whatever feels right to you. But it really changed everything for me. And um, I also struggled with eating disorders when I was younger. And if you would have told me that I weigh as much as I do now, I would have been like, no fucking way. Like, I can't I can't deal with that. And now the number doesn't really mean anything to me. It's about how I feel. And honestly, I think because people pay to see me nude, I'm just like, well, I guess I'm good then, you know? Mm. And um, like I said, it's not something everyone would even want to do. But for me, it's just been very freeing and it's helped me to feel really confident. And there's so many times in my life where I didn't wear the thing I wanted to wear or take pictures when I wanted to or flirt with people or you know, send nudes to partners, which again, not everyone feels comfortable with and that's fine. But it's just become such a big part of me and what makes me feel sexy and confident. And I think it's turned on a lot of my partners and like people who are drawn to me. And it's just like this really fun relationship to have with myself. It's not always that easy. I mean, of course, there are still days when I'm like, oh, 
what is this? <laughs> I think everyone will always yeah. have those probably. Yeah. But they but you mm-hmm. don't give them the same weight. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like you don't give them you can have you can also have a neutral attitude about the feeling and the thought of yeah. going, I'm shaming my body. Mm-hmm. Oh, instead of you know, shaming yourself for that or feeling like then you have to go and do X, Y, and Z, which is probably harmful. Yeah. 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 Well, and that's, I think that is a place too where, you know, we talked a little bit about this, but where queer community, I do think there is a broader sense, at least in in my experience, of what is attractive. Mm-hmm. And that definitely helps me feel like, oh, I don't have to worry as much as I would have in the past. Like, well, like, is this okay to wear or is this flattering mm-hmm. or is this whatever? And it's just kind of like, I don't know. It gives me at least more confidence. Yeah, that's so awesome. So we're going to finish with a question from one of our attendees here. It's a great one. What advice do you have for people living in more conservative regions of the world who are struggling with sexual empowerment? This one's really close to my heart because the whole idea of Girl Boner started because I grew up learning that you couldn't be a quote good girl mm-hmm. and also my favorite, word. My favorite term right <laughs> yeah. yeah I think um I definitely think starting with yourself is a really good place you know like um I think having I tend to think of like I think masturbation is a good self-care practice and that it is a practice too and getting into a place where you know you start to feel more comfortable and more in touch with your own body really gets you to a place where you can get there with other people. Yeah, absolutely. I love that. And you can have your own, because really our sexuality, it took me a long time to realize, oh, it's it's mine first. Yep. And so solo play, masturbation, um, also, you know, podcasts and books are so many websites you know when you have quality resources there are ways to find community thank goodness when you aren't finding it in your immediate surroundings Mm -hmm. would you add anything to that Megan the internet um yeah there's so many places now even more than I'm aware of and I'm constantly on the internet for work stuff and figuring out what's the newest social media place there's reddit and Facebook groups and Lee is really good with the Facebook groups I never really knew as much she adds me to them all the time and you I mean, in a smaller place, I'm assuming there won't be as many, but if you could just find one, if you could find one friend or even one person, even if they're not necessarily queer, but if they're like, I'm going to be your support person, if you have one person, it can make such a huge difference. And then once you find one, it's like, then that you can both look together until you've found at least some small group or community. Yeah, it's so true because for sure there's somebody else in your community who is looking for you Mm -hmm. (laughs) who's looking for support a friend or someone to talk to and I do one of the reasons I wrote the journal was because I would recommend journaling as a tip for almost everything yeah masturbate and write in a journal like those are like my go-to show it (laughs) yeah I think they're both really powerful because there's no judgment when you're just letting it flow on the page you don't have to worry about someone like reading over your shoulder Mm -hmm. or I mean hopefully (laughs) you know but you're not having somebody measure what you're doing and I think that's really important would you share where people can learn more about you and listen to your wonderful show absolutely so um, for me personally I'm at sexcoachlee.com and then I'm at sexcoachlee on um, Instagram Facebook and Twitter I'm probably the most active on Instagram um, and then my website and then um, for Queers Next Door, we're at queersnextdoor.com. And we're also Queers Next Door on Instagram. And um, 
Twitter and Facebook. We have a Facebook group and we also have um, like we have a more a group where people can come and talk and chat too on Facebook. And then Megan, we can find you at XO Megan Ashley is my social media handle pretty much everywhere. And then I also have MeganAshley.com, which has the links to my social media blogging, even though I haven't done it as much recently. Um, but all my old blog posts and it just links to everything that I do that that's where I put pretty much everything. Awesome. Well, thank you both for being here. And thank you for listening on whatever podcast app you choose. If you're using a smartphone, double tap or swipe to find links for Girl Boner Journal, Queers Next Door, and some of our social media handles. Since recording that interview in May, I received a question related to one of the topics we covered. It came from Jennifer, who wrote this. I'm in the most serious relationship I've ever been in and suddenly feel jealous. I've never historically been a jealous person, so this is embarrassing to admit. I find myself obsessing over how many partners my boyfriend has had, how good the sex was, and if his exes were more attractive than me. What is wrong with me, and can you and Dr. Megan please help? Thank you, Jennifer. Jennifer, thank you so much for your question. There is not a single darn thing wrong with you. I promise what you're experiencing is so common and human. I did wonder as I was reading your question if being in a serious relationship and seemingly falling in love for the first time is maybe touching on an old wound for you. A therapist told me, recently that when emotions feel hysterical, they're likely historical, meaning those feelings could be stemming more from past hardships than what's at the surface. And that's not to say that those feelings aren't valid because they are. Your feelings are always valid. Uh, but I do think that sometimes something hits a nerve and it's it's like a, a sign to, to dig a little deeper. I think journaling might help, some introspection, and definitely practicing some self-compassion. And if you're really struggling, I'm a huge fan of therapy as well. Here's what Dr. Megan Fleming of GreatLifeGreatSex.com had to say. Jennifer, thanks for your question. And I guess I want to say, you know, I think it's it's always great that you're asking the question, but that it's interesting that you're feeling embarrassing because of a difficult emotion like jealousy. And I think what's awesome about it is for any of us, you know, it's great to notice what we're feeling because really it's information and it's really about taking time to understand what might be telling us. And the fact that in this context, it's like you're not only noticing an uncomfortable emotion and you can identify it as jealousy, but you're also reaching out, right? Because I think, as I always say, we know what we know, we don't know what we don't know, and we're not expert in everything. So it's great to always seek guidance. So what I would say is that obviously you noticed and are sort of saying that the obsessing about exes and what kind of sex they were having is is a huge red flag. Anything that sort of gets our emotional attention in that way, and it's like an emotional hook, we can't sort of let it go. And um, sort of that we call it obsession or rumination um, is sort of an indication of like, really, what is at the root of that? You know, and I think if we think about jealousy, you know, often sort of the silver lining of it, because it's an uncomfortable feeling or emotion for us all, is that it's really representing underneath it something we desire right? That the feeling of jealousy is because you want what that person is having or experiencing. So, 
you know, I think it's important to realize that instead of just focusing on the negative aspects of it, it's to appreciate, well, what is that longing? Um, and in this case, you know, you mentioned that this is your most serious relationship. And so I guess I'm wondering, you know what, because it's your most serious, you've invested the most. And in so you also have the most to lose. And I think that may be why, and at this point, you're starting to become jealous because all of a sudden your consciousness is aware of a sense of risk, like when and if for whatever reason this relationship might not work out, that's obviously, I can imagine, not what you're wanting or desiring. And so your brain is kind of getting vigilant, that's often the obsession in nature, you know, to you know, looking for danger. And in this case, what's interesting is it's in the past, right? And so I want you to just take note of that. It's not about something he's currently doing in any way that's making you feel unsafe or insecure. You don't get a sense maybe he's flirting and going to be hooking up with somebody now. Your mind is actually, because it's really looking for data here, um, is looking in the past, right? And, and comparing yourself to exes. And so all I can say is, first of all, he chooses you in this present moment. And you guys have been going out a long time and hence it's your serious relationship. And that I think it's just sort of, I sort of refer to it as static cling. You know, when your brain is trying to quote unquote warn you. But I think in this context, it's because there really is an emotional investment and, you know, it's just your brain trying to like wonder, you know, can I count on this? Is it safe? Is it secure? And, and so it's actually looking um, for evidence, right, to prove that fear should be in the mix here. And what I can say is if there's no fear coming from his actions or lack thereof or in any way how you're feeling in the moment, it's just to realize that, you know, it might just be your brain trying to make you wonder, um, you know, can I count on this? And, and that really is based on your current experience and the conversations that you're having with your current boyfriend or partner that anything, anything is possible, but keep those dialogues open and just realize in this context, how you're getting your own way. And we sort of say those are intrusive thoughts. And the reality is you don't want to give them oxygen, right? This is an important piece. We can't control whether or not these thoughts pop into our head, but we can consciously choose to decide whether they're worth noticing, paying attention to, and whether or not we're going to, you know, essentially give them oxygen. Because as I often say, what we focus on expands and what we resist persists. So Use this information to redirect your consciousness and your attention to what you truly desire, what you truly want, and show up for that in your life and in your relationship. And I can assure you that more and great things are going to come. But as always, love to hear how it goes. Thanks so much, as always, Dr. Megan. I love what she said about really not judging that feeling because, as we mentioned in the episode, jealousy doesn't always mean that you're this insecure person, or if you are, that's not a bad thing either. We're all insecure at times in our lives. I also had to laugh a little when Dr. Megan was pointing out that these things happened in the past, that you are like retroactively <laughs> envious of your partner's experiences. If you've read Girl Boner or um, have heard me talk about my own sexual empowerment journey, I had this very sexy experience that you may be aware of where it started out with me feeling really jealous one night. Like I was feeling jealous of my partner's past experiences and it turned out to be something much more about my own self-discovery and really changed things in a positive way for me. So I guess I'm sending you a lot of solidarity and I just, I really have a lot of hope for you and I hope that this relationship continues to really fill your heart. If you're enjoying Girl Boner Radio, please hit subscribe wherever you're listening if you haven't yet. I'd also really appreciate a rating and simple review. Thank you so much for listening and have a beautiful, 
Girl Boner Embracing Week. Girl Boner Radio is owned, operated, and executively produced by me, August McLaughlin, with technical producer and audio extraordinaire, Mackenzie Mazel, as part of the Period Podcast Network, an affiliate of Starburns Industries. Learn more about the Girl Boner podcast brand movement and book series at girlboner.org and more about Period at periodnetwork.com.